You're listening to Last Word Soccer Club Radio. Only here, lastwordonsports.com. What's up, Internet? My name is Matt Pollard, and you are listening to Last Word Soccer Club Radio here at LastWordOnSports.com. We are brought to you by Icarus FC and Roughneck Scarves, and we are a part of the Beautiful Game Network. It has been a while since we've podcasted. Life has been busy for all of your wonderful co-hosts, but we are coming to you back on the evening of Wednesday, September 21st, 2022. Uh, It's just a two-man podcast tonight, so a double pivot, if you will. I'm joined now by Jamie Rook. Jamie, how are we? Yeah, all good. Thanks, Matt. As I said, it's been a while. I think all of us have been out and busy and doing various things, so I'm looking forward to getting back into it as the players press in. Yeah, certainly. So uh, there's a lot of stuff, obviously, folks, we won't be talking about. Uh, by now, you know that Orlando City has won Open Cup, much to the disappointment of a lot of Cupset fans that were hoping for Sacramento to have their Cinderella run. I think it's I think it's long enough, Jamie, after the official announcement of the U.S. World Cup roster or the U.S. September Friendlies roster that we don't need to discuss too much about that. Um, some people are still bantering about the center back situation and everything. I think it's I think it's understandable. It's Given what we know about Greg Berhalter, it's understanding what he did, given the absence that you had with, um, was it Cameron Carter-Vickers? No, it was uh, Chris Richards, excuse me, despite the chagrin, obviously, of me, Jamie, that was hoping that uh, Tim Ream was going to get an opportunity and the very clear still disconnect that's going on between Greg Berhalter and John Anthony Brooks, but that has long since come and passed, so let us get into it, folks. We will be talking the MLS Cup playoff push. There is one game this weekend. But then come this coming weekend, the first weekend in October, will be the penultimate weekend of MLS play. And then obviously the weekend of October 8th will be the final match day of the regular season as we have decision day. So, Jamie, it's time for us to talk about MLS Cup playoffs. But we've got so many. It's simplified now in that a bunch of teams have qualified. A bunch of teams are eliminated. A bunch of teams only need one more result to make it or not make it that I think it's not worth going through full on DEFCON ratings at this point. Uh, we're going to be talking about the playoff push with every single team, folks, that are still in it. And we're going to be asking three questions. One, do they make the playoffs? To how do they do it in terms of what results happen in order for them to do it? Is it more about them controlling their own destiny or other teams following off? And then ultimately, uh, why they make the playoffs? What do they do well to ultimately make it? What do they not do well enough in the final couple of games to ultimately miss out on the playoffs? But first, Jamie, we have some foregone conclusions to discuss. I'm looking here at 538 and Sporting Kansas City, Colorado Rapids, and New England Revolution, all 1% or less to make the playoffs. And then Charlotte also in the single digit. Um, Charlotte does have a, an extra game, Jamie, so you would think with how far they have to get in the table, they're sitting there at 38 points, and the playoff line is right there at 42, but there's a bunch of other teams that also have three games left to play. So effectively, they have in this, in three games, they have to make up four points on teams. I think that's a tall order. Jamie, can we officially announce all four of these teams, Sporting Kansas City, Colorado, Charlotte, New England, they are done. They will miss the playoffs. Yeah, I think most definitely those are teams that are, that are definitely going to struggle to make it above the line. Obviously, mine in England, your Colorado and SKC have danced very, so it's all tough times for us here at Last World on Soccer. But yeah, it's one of those where they've left it too late now to get above the line. And uh, even if you get six points in too many games, you're probably going to struggle, given let's put in the West for example, when you look at the likes of RSL and the Galaxy that are there. Four or five points ahead of those sort of teams, so I think yes, uh, as you say, four points. Mm-hmm. And then the key thing for me, Jamie, at least in the West with that, is that RSL plays LA Galaxy. So somebody has to pick up points in that, you know, where you would think, you know, results where teams already figured it out, you could hope for a win in that case, you know, and everything short of that game next Saturday just not being played and MLS deciding to not reschedule it at all. You know, you, you can't bank on no one getting points from that game, unfortunately. Um, I think it's worth pointing out, Jamie, for Charlotte, you know, the fact that they're still in it at this point. We've looked at expansion teams in the past, FC Cincinnati. 
They were obviously very poor. Austin that had a rough run in the middle of the summer and everything. I think it's worth pointing out Charlotte had some good designated players that, you know, they've built a culture. They have a very distinct and good home field advantage that they've taken advantage of there at the large NFL stadium in Charlotte, North Carolina. I think they have a lot of really good building blocks. And this is all in the aftermath, in the context of a season in which their head coach comes out and says in Spanish that we're screwed. He gets fired two months later, supposedly because of a disagreement with one of the designated players that we believe to be Stryker Swinderski. And here they are, obviously not making the playoffs, but you know we knew 15 games into their first season that FC Cincinnati was going to miss the playoffs. We knew at this point in the season that Austin FC was is more likely to win the wooden spoon than they are to make the playoffs. And just the simple fact that there's three games left in the season and Charlotte's remotely in the hunt. And three weeks ago, it looks like a, a, a distinct opportunity. Um, you know, what, Jamie, can we say about what Charlotte's done this season? Yeah, I think uh, when you look at, obviously, some of the bad performers in their, in their rookie season or debut season, like the likes of Mount United and LAFC, it's, it's not surprising they haven't lived up to those, lived up to those heights given the the infrastructure already put into place and the 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 location as well always helps. But as you say, yeah, Charlotte have definitely gone above and beyond at least my expectations, which in in the light of the fact that yeah, they had that whole that whole managing all breakdown which came as quite a surprise and blew up out of nowhere and then all of a sudden, yeah, they were on the hunt for a new man. It was all all quite chaotic and could easily have railroaded the whole season. So like you say, for them to be back in the hunt, three games left, albeit up against it and probably unlikely to make the make the playoffs is still a, a strong start and something that they can start to build on as the year, year goes on into the following season. As we've seen with teams like Nashville and Austin, who have built on it and Austin now uh, a very competitive team and Charlotte always able to not copy but uh, make their own version of that next year. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, Jamie. And then as we look at it in terms of teams that are likely to qualify, Jamie, we have NYCFC that I think technically just need one more point for it to be mathematically impossible for them to miss the playoffs. And then Orlando also in the Eastern Conference. And then in the Western Conference, you've got Nashville that I think also just need one more point. And then Portland, who are just three points above the red line right now but then you would look at it you know three teams would need to jump the minimum and that would basically require all but minnesota taking maximum points and then portland losing out in their final couple games so if i'm looking at the odds here on 538 folks nashville is at 99 percent, and then you have nycfc at 99 percent. So orlando's at 91 and then where do we have and then portland is at 79 percent, and basically one point from their final two games they're in jamie are we comfortable saying that these four teams will qualify for the playoffs yeah, I think as as you say, it's it's one of those where it's not quite a forecast conclusion, but it's looking looking very likely. NYCFC, yeah, they could they could plunge into the playoffs at this rate and could emerge on the basis that there won't be five or four teams behind them picking up the six points. Then also in the East, Orlando and well, not mentioned there, Cincinnati also on forty five points, a couple of less wins, which could count against them, but. The chances are that Orlando and Cincinnati will fancy themselves as playoff teams, and then yeah, into the West, Portland. They're definitely having, they're definitely doing better now. Having definitely struggled earlier in the season, they had their issues. There was worries that they were, they were going to miss out in the playoffs. So for them to now be comfortably mighty strong, but definitely above the line, and hunting down a team like Nashville or even Dallas is is very positive. Yeah, I think as you say the. The, the foregone conclusion mark probably hasn't been reached, but with two games left, yeah, they'll be very confident they've done enough. So, Jamie, with that, let's get into the individual teams that right now are straddling the red line. We'll start in the Eastern Conference, work our way up the table, and then go down. I'll go first. So I'll ask, I'll answer, does this team make the playoffs? How do they do it? And then ultimately, why do they make the playoffs? So we will start with FC Cincinnati, who currently sits six in the East. They have 45 points, three games remaining, and they are three points above the red line. And for context, they have a they're at a 94% chance of making the playoffs. Uh, but Jamie, as FC Cincinnati Twitter will remind Mind you, they're not used to getting good things, and it's almost surreal that they're even in this position. We're currently talking right now, folks. They're in the middle of their League's Cup showcase match against Chivas de Guadalajara. I would assume it's a bunch of uh, rotational squad players that are in that tournament, in that game. 
But so uh, this coming Tuesday, they have Seattle Sounders. Uh, then they're at home to Chicago Fire. And then on the final match day, they're playing DC United. Jamie, I have this, like, let's smash the they're making the playoffs button on this one. You know, Chicago Fire <clears throat> already eliminated. That's a Saturday home game. It is possible for Cincinnati, if they just get the six points this coming week, to make the playoffs on that. Yes, they're playing at Seattle on a midweek game. But Tuesday night, probably fewer fans than you would get for a Saturday afternoon, Saturday evening at at Lumen Field. And then on top of that, Seattle has like over half their starters that are away on international duty. And Nicholas Ladero is suspended, I believe, on yellow card accumulation for this game. Seattle could be fielding a B squad depending on what it looks like for travel time and recovery and, um, you know, time zone changes for a number of the other players. I think Cincinnati could easily get a result in that one. I think they beat Chicago at home. And even if they don't do that, they're playing DC United, who at that point will probably have locked up the wooden spoon. So I think they'll make the playoffs easily um why because or how do they do that i think they do it by beating bad teams how do they go about beating those bad teams jamie i think cincinnati is on an individual basis i think a very threatening team come playoff time i think their key weakness is they score a lot and then they also give up a lot of goals there may be uh, an organized and gelling version of nottingham forest right now you know they've got brenner and vasquez up top obviously luciano acosta is playing very well and they're capable of putting good defensive performances, but just they're a team that is just inherently top heavy and inherently high risk, high reward for me. So I think that in that regard, they could, if Seattle is able to get a Jordan Morris back, if Raul Ruiz Diaz plays well and everything, I think that game will be competitive. But I think they've got too much firepower to um, for Shakiri to deal with and um, the Chicago Fire to deal with. And certainly DC United will see whether or not Taxi Fontas is suspended for the rest of the season, given the things that he reportedly said um, over the weekend. So I think uh, I don't think that Cincinnati's getting three, three nil victories in this one. I think they could score nine goals. I'm not sure that they're getting clean sheets or even more than one in this one, but I think they do make the playoffs. And I do think once they get in on an individual game basis, they will be a threat for an NYCFC for a Philadelphia Union potentially. I don't think they win MLS Cup just because you need a stout defense and a good center back goalkeeper pairing as well, which I don't believe that they have. But, you know, could they go to NYCFC? you know in you know a small pitch situation on one of the baseball stadiums and win a game three two four three or on penalties absolutely with that jamie we'll move on to inter miami who sits seventh in the eastern conference they have 42 points they are beating out columbus crew on the first tiebreaker which is wins and 538 has their chances of making the playoffs at 59 percent. jamie what you got on this podcast, it's, it's been well known. I've always been uh, into Miami Galveston, mainly because of the man at the helm, Phil Neville. But I won't take this opportunity to stand up because I do think as much negativity as I've put on his name, he's actually about to turn things around. There's been a lot, bit, a lot more uh, positive spin on his team this year. As you say, they are they're hanging in the balance and it's a case of going down to the world team now with Columbus. And you look at their main fixtures with... Uh, Travel to Toronto, which could be a tough one, and then their, their big rivalry against Orlando, which lucky for them is at home before finishing out against Montreal. So it's definitely not an easy run in. I don't know off the top of my head who Columbus still have to face, but I think Miami, um, they'll be in the mix. They'll be in the mix till the last game, I think. But if I was to predict out of the two, who, who is the better side out of them, Columbus, and who's going to get the job, I would go for the crew. Not for the sole reason of Pietro Hernandez, but he is, he is, he is going to make a difference. He's proven day in, day out in this league already that he is an elite goal scorer and he's not really the one who's got a very strong team. And I'd say, managers-wise, Caleb Porter is, is the better manager and definitely has that less experience in the side. So I think without wanting to be too negative, I think Miami, Miami could get four points maybe from these last three games, but I still think that Columbus will just sneak ahead of them and... If it was to go down to uh, wins on the basis of them having double points, Miami have uh, three more wins, interestingly enough. But uh, so that obviously works in our favour. But in, in my estimations, that won't matter as yeah, Columbus, Columbus are a strong team, as as you said with um, Cincinnati. I don't think Columbus are going to really threaten anyone. I don't think they're going to be an MLS Cup contender. But I still think if with the beauty of the finances. Really can be an underdog story, even at this level. So I think, yeah, I think Cincinnati, uh, sorry, Columbus 
Um, they'll make the playoffs on the basis of outscoring Lyon or Atlanta or Chelsea. Yeah, I'm I'm 50-50 on this one, Jamie, to be honest, as we move on to Columbus. You know, it's interesting you mentioned, so uh, Miami has 12 wins, Columbus has 9 wins, but then Columbus has the better goal differential, plus 5 to minus 11. How how does Miami have 3 more wins, but then Columbus has a goal difference that's, you know, 16 better than Miami? I, welcome to Major League Soccer, folks. But so uh, the aforementioned Columbus crew are in 8th in the Eastern Conference. Again, just like Miami, 42 points, but they're losing out on the tiebreaker at the moment. And uh, 538 currently has their playoff chances at 45%. You know, Jamie, I agree with you that Columbus is a good team on paper. You know, Cucho Hernandez, uh, Lucas Elorion's obviously having a good season and is a very good player. Kevin Molino just returned to the squad and got his first goal back with the team as well. So hopefully, you know, the international break, he gets two more weeks to, you know, get fully fit. And then maybe he's 90 minutes fit for these final three games. But they've dropped so many, I think it's, they've dropped 16 points this season from a winning position. I think they've got a little bit of like front runner yips as well. And I also, I'm not sure that the schedule is convenient for them. On Saturday, October 1st, they are home to New York Red Bulls, who are already a playoff team and will be fighting for playoff seating at that point. Then they play midweek before decision day against Charlotte. Charlotte will probably be eliminated at that point, so who knows what that looks like, but that will be Charlotte's final home game of the season. And then they are at Orlando to finish out the season. You know, maybe Orlando, Orlando's probably clinched the playoffs at that point. Maybe they've determined their seating. Maybe they know they're going to get a home playoff game. Maybe they know they can play for a draw and it'll be totally fine. I'm not entirely sure, but you know, that's, you know, that's, one bad team, albeit a team that plays well at home, and two very good teams that could give Columbus crew the trouble. But, you know, I think where you were saying, Jamie, a lot of what's going on with Inter-Miami is maybe stuff outside of what they can do because they're a limited team in the way that they play and everything. Columbus' ceiling, for me, is an MLS Cup contender. They've got a fantastic number 10. They've got a number 9 that I think if he's healthy for 34 games next season should be top 5 in the Golden Boot race. And they've got a head coach who's experienced in Major League Soccer and has won an MLS Cup with two different franchises, including this Columbus Root team, just two years ago. That being said, you know, I have to wonder, I don't know if it's a crisis of confidence. I don't know what's causing them to play well to start games, score goals, and then ultimately concede points from a winning position to where, like last weekend, where they were up one nothing to Portland Timbers and they, you know, had a goal scored almost on the final kick of the game. I don't know, is that a mental issue? Are teams making adjustments in ways that Caleb Porter isn't dealing with? Is it, but whatever it is, it's happened enough times to now, even if it's, even if there's no rhyme or reason to it, now it's in everybody's head and maybe it's a psychological issue as much as a physical issue or a tactical issue, whatever. If they can write that or at the very least just have a multi-goal you know get out to a 2-0 victory against New York Red Bulls and to where they have a little bit more cushion I think they could be absolutely fine but I think um, so much of their issues I think are internal whereas I think Miami's issues are external in that regard I'm, I'm going to agree with you Jamie I think they get a result against New York Red Bulls I think they absolutely blow out Charlotte and then I think Orlando is probably playing for something less than than um than Columbus at this point, but I think Columbus is going to have to rely on their star players. I don't think it will be convincing, but it's going to have to be Zellaron and Cucho Hernandez carrying this offense, given where this team is at defensively. But I do think they get in. I, I'll go on record now. I think they get the seventh seed. Um, with that, Jamie, we've kind of set you up for a you know a, an obvious answer. Uh, Atlanta United, ninth in the East uh, on 40 points. They only have two games remaining, while all the other teams that we've talked about have three games remaining, and 538 does have their playoff chances at seven percent uh jamie what if anything are the five stripes fighting for it's been it's been one of the seasons for atlanta where they where they may not have been at their best but in response to the tactic break the injury list has been endless at times and it's, it's heavily trodden ground you talk about miles robinson out for ages brad guzan then you go into andrew gutman obviously joseph martinez has had has his injury issues as well as seemingly some disputes with gonzalo Pineda off the field and on the training field which can't help the team too much in terms of morale, especially given it's a new coach against the star man. I'm sure that that, that doesn't help the team ethos and the team chemistry at all. But it's yeah, we both already said we think Columbus are going to do it, so that that means Atlanta realistically. But uh, yeah, they're a team in in flux almost. Pineda's a inexperienced coach, and I keep saying it, it's a baptism of fire for him, and he's he's not. I don't think he's done too badly. It remains to be seen what started this whole Jose Martinez issue and where that ends up as the player could well be moved on in, in, in the summer or the following season. But I think 
yeah, games against the Rugby and NYCFC to uh, close out the season, put in a tick in the tent. It needs a point for having a chance of getting in a postseason and preserves themselves, albeit having even less of a chance of fighting in to get into the playoffs. And it wouldn't surprise me, given how many wins they this year, if they did just come out and put in a 2 0, 3 0 win, if in that sort of scheme where they can do that sort of thing, they've got the players who. If they show up on their day, they're very solid. And then, as we said, whenever the NRCFC are, then uh, we've got the, the hometown thing in their sights. So they'll be they'll be fighting for some of those, definitely. So, yeah, it's a case of Atlanta probably having to reset with all their stars there. Martino being where there are always now, Marbles will go again next year because the chances are that the odds are for that Romania, they'll be watching off in the summertime as the other teams go at it in the playoffs. Yeah, I I think it's going to be a really interesting off season for Atlanta. Even if they do, I get you know I guess Jamie, if they end up winning a, you know MLS Cup and you know Pineda and Joseph Martinez, you know are are making up and everything, then maybe it's a completely different conversation to be had. But they've got an open position at the you know technical sporting director with Darren Eels going to Newcastle United. So I think it's a valid question. What are they doing there? You combine that with I think questions about how much on the business versus the sporting side that a Carlos Bocanegra is on, and I think this is really this is a club that's almost lost its original identity that was basically built on those two gentlemen, Eels and Boca Negra, kind of having the big picture ideas and then focusing on the business side with what they were doing with the stadium and effectively being a super club where I don't know about you, Jamie, but I feel like I see pretty regularly I'll watch Premier League games and I'll randomly see an Atlanta United jersey or scarf. And, you know, I'm not sure that we're, you know, what are we saying about that when I don't see a lot of Colorado Rapid or New England Revolution paraphernalia stadiums, but I go to any MLS game, I will find an arsenal on a Manchester United shirt somewhere. So <clears throat> they've done a great job with that, but then all of their kind of identity on the field was Tata Martino and being the central South American team and everything. And, you know, they've now gone away with that so many ways with, you know, multiple head coaches from that. And I think Pineda is a good mix of that based on his playing and his ethnic background. And obviously his time in MLS where he understands that in ways that Tata had absolutely no interest. But you know, you're potentially, you've got a business director that the fans are maybe starting to point the finger at hiring the sporting director who's then, you know, where potentially Pineda is going to be involved in that decision. So he's hiring his boss. And I think some of the big questions they have to be is, do we want to deviate from what we've been or do we want to be um, you know, what we have been. And then how does how does that new person almost come in and play like makeup psychologist with Joseph Martinez to convince him to stay given the relationship, you know, that's clearly fractured between him and the manager. Um, there was a really good tweet that I saw, Jamie, I can't remember who it was by, um, but basically suggested that I can't wait for the HBO docu-series of Atlanta United. And I'm imagining like it's makes like, I know you're not maybe not much of an NBA guy, Jamie, but there was a recent series they did on the Showtime Lakers and everything. And so you mix Showtime Lakers with only almost like secession and what though what that looks like and everything i'm not entirely sure but um the atlanta united revolution hopefully will be televised uh on that note jamie let us move on to the eastern conference i will throw it to you first we have sixth place minnesota united who are on 45 points they have two games left in the season they are playing at san jose and they're hosting vancouver on decision day and 538 has their playoff odds at 87 percent jamie what do you think uh, it's a, in, in some ways, I see it as a similar story to what you were saying about Columbus, as in they have, they have those stars that sometimes can make up for various other holes in the side. You've got Emmanuel Reynolds, who many people would tout as top 10 players in the league, and rightly so, because he has, for however long he's been here now, two, three years, probably more. He's been a star whenever he's played, and I think Adrian Heath has, has the, the know-how in this league now by this time to know what he's doing when it comes to these these crunch moments. Yeah, as you said, two games left. They're 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 currently in the postseason. That's how obviously they'll want to end up when they've got the likes of the Galaxy and RSL smashing up their heels and it's it's a case of yeah, you don't you don't need to obviously carrying form into the playoffs would be ideal, but at this rate you don't necessarily need to go out and get six points. You need to outperform those below you and, and see where that gets you coming into the postseason and as you've said yeah San Jose nothing to play for so it could be a case of experimenting and it would with how this earthquake team has been in the last few years even post Matias Almeida it's kind of if they've only won by three four fails something crazy like that and then the, the white caps themselves are 
Arbonism X hunting down Nobody's Arbonism X and so yeah it's one of those that I could certainly see it going either way they they spent a fair amount of season amount of the season above the line which is probably wrong maybe not setting it aright but just continuing to continuing to get the points rack it all up and keep pushing and you know they've got they've got more players that have momentum they've got like games like Sarah Jim Brick and Jim Darling and Peter Ferris and other players across the field that can deliver but it's just a case of yeah, getting the job done on the day and it's, it's such a easy thing to say but some of the playoffs do those all up and who knows what teams will deliver and who knows what teams can go above and beyond so I think yeah consensus will again not, not being not speaking about the nation but I think they will they won't they won't let content it like these last few games but they will just they will do do what they need to do and get three points and then on the afternoon four points and yeah so move on to the seventh place la galaxy they have 43 points off of 31 games played so they have three games left most teams around them do not they are at san jose in their um in the big showcase game that normally san jose has on or around fourth of july that got moved it got postponed i can't remember what the reason was but it's moved to now so that will be at stanford stadium a sold out 50,000 seater crowd rather than the usual what 14,000 that the quakes are getting at avaya so that'll be on saturday then uh next saturday october 1st they have their final home game of the season against rsl who are right there just below them in the red line and then they finish out decision day at houston dynamo jamie normally i would say this is an absolute cupcake situation and you're playing two teams that are already out of the play and then your one hard game is your final home game you figure you should be able to get a result in that but I feel like the last four years we've been in this exact same position with the LA Galaxy and they get the yips or they find some way to miss it out or Zlatan you know has a big blow up at halftime against his teammates and it completely destroys their confidence or Chicharito comes in and he's not particularly feeling it and it feels like on I feel like the last three or four years the Galaxy have played Houston Dynamo Houston just always gives the Galaxy trouble when they have nothing left to play for and and the Galaxy's, you know, playoff lives are completely on the line. I don't know if you remember, Jamie, I think it was uh, Zlatan's first year in MLS. All they needed was a win against Houston, and they were in. Didn't matter any of the results. They came out 2-0. Zlatan scored a goal. I think they got a penalty as well, and they gave up three goals in, like, the final 20 minutes, and the big video shot at the end of it was just Zlatan sitting on the bench by himself with a towel over his head, just the saddest lion that you have absolutely ever seen. I want to believe, Jamie, that this LA Galaxy team is different, given that we've seen them go out and get absolute shock results or score against very, very bad teams, like what they did against the Colorado Rapids on the weekend. You know, 4-1, Chicharito with a potential goal of the week candidate, Ricky Pooch, who's been absolutely fantastic in midfield, Brugman finally opens up his LA Galaxy account, but then we see them go on the road, not really feel it, an opponent has a really good tactical idea against them, and then they manage to lose 3-0 to the Vancouver Whitecaps. I think for me, I almost don't know how to feel about this given what I've said about the differences between how easy their schedule is set up for them on a silver platter and what they've been historically at this time of the year in previous seasons I think this coming game that you have against San Jose will be the really big one for me because it's a team that doesn't have anything left to play for but they're playing in their effective cup final you know 50,000 seater stadium all sold out and everything can they go and beat the Galaxy and make it hard for them to make the playoffs if the Galaxy come out and play like they did against Colorado they're bossing the game in the opening 20 minutes they're organized defensively not giving San Jose anything on the counter Chicharito's getting chances Ricky Pooch is doing everything in the midfield and they smash San Jose 3-0 I could see this team winning their final three games of the season so I'm I'm honestly I'm still on the fence on this one Jamie because I think this Saturday is such a good barometer test for where this team actually is and where they're going to be by the end of the season and everything so I'm a coin flip I want to say yes but I've seen this team mess it up so many times before so we'll see Jamie I'll give you the other side of this uh San Jose excuse me Salt Lake are eighth in the Western Conference tied on points with the LA Galaxy LA Galaxy have one more win than them and RSL uh, uh the Galaxy have a game in hand on RSL and the 538 has RSL's playoff chances at 35 percent Jamie what do you see you said that the LA Galaxy always seem to mess it up, and I think that could well be the story again where you've got RSL on both side are very much romanticised, and rightly so, with the shoestring budget almost that they have in, in the last few years, yet they still continue to get the job done. As I've already mentioned a couple of times, that, that amazing player for a man, Daniel Jones, and then 
although he's not there anymore, he was he's always coming towards for a neutral and it'll be a case of coming down to that one game really, the Gale Galaxy versus RSL, I think it's in LA. So that that'll be that'll be the game really, as you said. But LA Galaxy will be able to prove themselves against San Jose but then lose to RSL and the fate the fate will be out of their own hands. Then following that up for RSL with a big win against the Clippers, who themselves have a lot on the line, despite all of the results on the line, have stuff to do and have to get it done. So it could it could well go down to the wire. It very much will go down to the wire with RSL with results. Some of those Clippers are falling against anything happened. The with the absence of Demir Krylak for so long, he's he's the talisman, and yet they still they're on a very poor run. Granted, so they could easily lose to both the Galaxy and the Timbers, and then just just go out on a win for them at the end of their season. So they have shown uh, Thunder Rush on the side have had their very poor run of results, winning one of the last five, I think it was, and a few of those win losses as well. So it is a case of whether they can turn it around. Uh, Turn on the form at the right time with the likes of Bobby Wood and um, can't remember the other four's name blank on it. But um, yeah, it's a case of what what can they do with these these two punch wins left? And... Yeah, the romantic in me wants to say they will just about pit the galaxy, and I'm gonna lean towards it. But at the same time, it wouldn't surprise me. That doesn't sound true at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jamie, was it Jefferson Saverino you were thinking of? Yes, and then, Jamie, you made a really good point about Demir Krylach. You know, I'm looking at his stats right now. You know, five games played, three starts, not even 300 minutes played. He's got one goal this season. If we look at what he did last year, which was an outlier, you know, it was 33 starts, so he's, or 32 starts, so he started all but two games, 33 games played, so he played in all but one, 16 goals, nine assists. But even if we look at his other seasons, he's pretty regularly a 10-goal contribution player, and he contributes to this team in so many other ways. So even if we're just talking middle of the run 10 goal contributions 2500 minutes let's say 25 to 27 matches started for Demir Krylach RSL's probably already clinched a playoff spot right now so what they've done to put themselves in this position I think speaks well of who they are. I do think they might narrowly miss out. They're probably looking at, um, they're probably going to be watching with bated Beth and hoping for San Jose to get three points on Saturday. But then they're probably looking at that game against LA Galaxy and thinking this is our playoff game to get into the playoffs. So um, they still have a chance. Moving on to two teams that I'm not sure have much of a chance, Jamie. Uh, we'll start with Vancouver Whitecaps, ninth in the Western Conference, 40 points off of 32 games played. So they're three points below the red line, and their final two games of the season are hosting Austin FC, one of the best teams in the Western Conference, and then at Minnesota United, who are probably fighting for playoff seating at that point. Vancouver's playoff odds are just 4%. I'm going to say it right now, Jamie. I think they're done. I think of all the teams that we've talked about, they have the hardest schedule. Who else is playing You know, a game against? a team that's going to have a home game in the first round of the playoffs has arguably the MVP or at the very least the runner up to M- to the MVP for the season in Major League Soccer in Sebastian Driussi of Austin FC. And then you have to go play at Minnesota who, um, you know, also have Reynoso who's a fantastic player and you know, we'll definitely have something to play for on decision day. And then we've seen Vancouver when they've played good teams, Jamie, you know, they haven't played particularly well. You know, Vancouver's last win was at home against Colorado and Colorado gave them two very easy goals to Ryan Gold. And since then they've lost to Nashville, they've lost to San Jose, they lost to Colorado without their star players. And their last two games, virtual six pointers, you know, they beat LA Galaxy, who I just mentioned were bad. um, And then they beat Seattle Sounders as well. But, you know, like I've said, those are teams that have had issues They've had crises of confidence and everything. That's not Austin. That's not Minnesota. Um, I think maybe you could hope for two points out of this one, but even then they need a lot of help and I don't think they'll get it. And then lastly, uh, we'll move on to Seattle Sounders, who are 10th in the Western Conference, 39 points. So they're four points below the red line, but then they have three games remaining. And those games, Jamie, are the Tuesday game that we mentioned earlier against FC Cincinnati, where Seattle could be missing some players. And they are at Sporting Kansas City, who are already out. And then on decision day, they are hosting San Jose Earthquakes, who are also already out. Jamie, this is very similar to me, 
as how I feel about the LA Galaxy in terms of the ease of the schedule, but difference in terms of confidence. Like this would absolutely be, yes, everything has gone wrong. Yes, Seattle went all in at winning CCL, even if it meant that it was going to affect their season. They've got a bunch of players who've been injured. Nicolo Darrow is going to be suspended for since the Cincinnati game. They've got a bunch of players called up for international duty, um, you know, who might be really leggy going into that game. But if there was any team put into these circumstances, they could go through with it, find a way to get seven points, nine points, and just sneak into that seventh seed, it would be the Seattle Sounders. As much as I want to, Jamie, I think last time it was me and Rachel on the podcast, we had this conversation, and um, you might not have been in the MLS ether at the time, but I believe it was 2016, the year that Seattle won MLS Cup. It was midway through the season. They had had a horrible year. Siggy Schmidt had just left the club. Brian Smetzer had been appointed, and a certain guy, Nico Lodero, had just been signed as their big summer acquisition. And Ben Bear, who used to um, work at MLSsoccer.com, and he came on uh, Extra Time Radio, the podcast, and he said, I guarantee it, as in playing, having fun with his last name, Ben Bear, as in guarantee, but bear guarantee, guarantee that the Sounders would miss the playoffs. And Ladero comes in, and he plays fantastic. They get into the seventh seed. They win a bunch of road games. They go on to play Toronto in a very cold game. They don't have a shot on goal, and they nick it in penalties, and they win their first MLS Cup. So, Jamie, I feel like there's a bunch of people in MLS Twitter that have had this thought in their brain or even a tweet that they've left in draft that is just like guaranteeing that the rap that the Sounders are going to miss the playoffs or saying like finally it's mathematically impossible for the Sounders to miss the playoffs and I'm still not ready to say it because I think that the LA Galaxy could screw the pooch I don't know that RSL has enough in the tank Vancouver's got tough schedules and if Seattle could just find a way to get a draw against Cincinnati and then smash Sporting Kansas City and San Jose and you know and pad their goal difference and everything i could just barely see them geeking it out i don't know how to feel i'm as torn about how to make a decision on this about seattle as i am about the la galaxy because given the two schedules i know where these two clubs are and who they are as people and that tells me that the galaxy are going to find a way to mess it up and leave the door open and seattle is going to find a way to get in so i'm not sure i'm not sure how to feel about that at all. Uh, Jamie, anything else that we want to say about the playoff races? Do you have a take on the two Cascadia teams, or should we move on? I think just quickly, as you say, Seattle, if there's any team, as that most MLS fans know, if there's any team that could do it in the football tournament like this, it would definitely be the Sounders, as they've shown year in, year out, even through Brian Setzer. And then, yeah, I think the, the, the turning point is if they can get a point out of that Cincinnati game, uh, they could easily score eight or nine across the two games against SKC and San Jose. It all comes to how they how they how reduce problems in the international break if they've got a team that have held enough. But yeah, the Lodero suspension is not ideal, but I still think I don't think the Sounders will get the seven points, but they could still well miss out. Seeing as like the Galaxy and RSL could just get a win and a draw and if you win they could they could uh, break Sounders hearts who I don't think most Seattle fans will need that more of having yeah, there, there's almost there's an aura about them, Jamie, like it's similar to, you know, we talk about even with the results that have happened recently in Union Berlin that Bayern Munich ultimately are inevitable, you know, with so many other teams dropping points, you know, we'll see if Spurs and Arsenal are the real deal. You know, there's a sense that Manchester City are inevitable. I think there was a time maybe a decade ago in which we felt that the LA Galaxy, David Beckham, Landon Donovan, Robbie Keane were inevitable. And I think the only other team I felt that about is Seattle. And the only thing that's really going to prove that wrong is seeing them miss the playoffs. You know, Bruce Arena leaves the LA Galaxy and everything. Some players retire. They bring in DPs who don't play particularly well. And now we have a very different and specific view about the LA Galaxy. And I'm not ready to give up on that version of the Seattle Sounders because I've seen them do it so many times. And I almost can't believe that they're... I can't believe that they're not that team anymore, and I won't believe it until I actually see it. But, <clears throat> Jamie, let's move on to the Supporter Shield race. It had been a couple weeks, Jamie, where... You know, like a month ago, we thought it was definitely going to be LAFC. And then they had a couple wishy-washy results. And, you know, yes, Houston is kind of their bogey team and everything. They were rotating the squad. They dropped points. Philadelphia was, you know, smashing teams 6-0 and having fun scoring goals and everything. And now the, the script's flipped a little bit, or at the very least, it's virtually a coin flip. Both teams on 64 points. Nobody else can, I guess, Montreal can technically 
win the supporters shield um 538 has it at less than one percent chance so montreal would have to win their final two games uh lafc and philly would have to win their final collective um four games that they have between the two of them and then at that point montreal would be tied on wins but they'd have to flip a goal difference and they're at a plus 10 goal difference and then lafc is at a plus 28 so there's a weird crazy scenario here where you know montreal wins their final game of the season 10 nil and lafc loses their final game of the season 6 nil where montreal gets the supporter shield but we'll throw that out for the window for now philly montreal or philly lafc same points same number of games left lafc finishes out with and of course i don't have the schedule in front of me um lafc finished out their final two games are at the portland timbers and then they are hosting nashville sc and then philadelphia union have charlotte and then who else they are at charlotte at they're at Charlotte, and then they are hosting Toronto on decision day. And if we go to uh, MLSsoccer.com, they have Philly. Or at, we go to uh, 538. They have Philly at a 49% chance of winning the Shield and then a 50% chance of winning the Shield. Jamie, what do we make of it? And then also, I'm not sure Gareth Bale's uh, MLS, you know, Los Angeles adventure has necessarily gone according to plan in terms of his fitness, number of games that he's played, certainly his goal contributions. He hasn't registered a goal or an assist since August 6th against RSL, you know, but at the same time, LAFC and Steve Chirondolo were pretty clear in saying the goal is MLS Cup. This club's already won Supporters Shield and we're not going to go all in at Supporters Shield if it uh, weak, if it exhausts us for the playoffs. We want to peak for the playoffs. Jamie, what do we make of all of this? Only a couple of months ago on the, on the podcast, when I was not confident, but I was definitely on my safe place with it. Just didn't think anything of the team was going to win the shield. Obviously, the issues with Tati Pascal and Portishoot and manager Mike Gardner having not read well claims and all that, but still, they didn't really have to react to Steve's decisions too quickly. The three decisive games left, and on paper, anyway, you would assume that Philly could easily get the six points. Although, at the same time, I wasn't expecting them to to have that goalish draw with Atlanta. I was pretty confident that Philly would do what they always do and just eke out a one or two nil win there. Their defence has been so strong, whether it be Blake and Goal or the centre backs Gerasmus and Elliot and Baller on the back line with uh, with Kai Wagner, one of the best full backs in the league as well. It's it's such a a wet well old machine under Jim Kelton that it's it's not a surprise to me that there have been some clear interest from Europe for Kelton in the future. We've we've seen someone like Jesse Marsh getting the job done with Leeds and you see other Managers such as Dido, although he is obviously European, getting the moves, and it wouldn't surprise me if Jim Curtin is the next one up because he has had three or four excellent years in this league and hasn't hasn't maybe had the investment that some other teams have. We see when Brendan Harris and Mark McKenzie left, the investment back into the squad wasn't wasn't maybe what the Union fans were hoping, but they believed in the project and now they are where they are now. And I would I would say Philly almost. Safe bet might be the wrong term to LFC have that star power, which can't be denied, whether it be the Bale, Chicho, Rango, all these players, Matt Ryan Holland's ex bombs, fullbacks popping up with goals here and there, and yeah, it's all over the pitch. It's real stars, even those that like to left Wesley and Mark Anthony Kay moved on, they they brought through the next generation with that ridiculous amount of money that they're able to spend. And but yeah, I think for me, um, I don't have. I don't have a preference of who I would want to do it really, but I just think the Union will do it. These obviously two teams that have won the Shield in the past, in the last three years, I guess it is, the two that won it before the refs, and I think I think Philly will will just keep keep turning them on, maybe not setting the world alight, but could easily get six points against two teams. Realistically, we haven't got a whole lot to play for, obviously. Well, it can still mathematically make it, but... As we said earlier, it's an uphill battle for them. And then LAFC as well, yeah. Playing the Timbers aside, that, um, that have, still, have, still have a fair bit on the table for them. And then Nashville are just, they're Nashville. They're, they've got arguably, I would say, the best player in the league at, as it stands in Hannah McCarr. Well, in terms of performance, anyway, maybe not reputation, but he's been so excellent since he's come in. Um, and that partnership with CJ, CJ Spong and many others on the pitches. Is something else. So yeah, I think I think the 
the games were two games got stacked up as well and they could well have got points whereas the union will just yeah they're not they're not the the exciting option as such but I just think they are they are the better all round team whereas NFC may be a bit bit too star studded and then yeah on the matter of Bale it's it's one of those you'd assume yeah, I think he came out recently and said oh it's it's been good preparation for the World Cup with Wales, which I think probably understandably is hard to play when you're living in LA, you can't be half bad, so I don't understand where he's coming from, but I think... Yeah, I don't know, I don't know whether it will pan out for him as he sees, because... Yeah, in my eyes, LAFC will come up short and then not win the MLS Cup either. Well, you know, I guess, Jamie, you know, uh, you know, Qatar's on the beach and everything, LA's on the beach, so, you know, it's hot and humid when he's training, so at the very least, you know, that's that's better than, I suppose, you know, the what the rain and maybe the 65 degrees that he would have been getting in Cardiff today if he was training with Cardiff City. So, you know, well, let's tackle the first question, Jamie. I agree with you. I think Philly will ultimately win the wooden spiel, shield, and I feel like they're the better narrative for that, just given how they played as a team, how they've invested, how just this group of players and what they've grown and everything, you know, LAFC almost seemed like the, you know, the Galacticos are like they're bought with money and everything. And Philadelphia have been building over the course of the last couple of years and everything. They won the Shield a couple of years ago. They've made playoff runs and everything. I think if their team doesn't get COVID to where they have to feel the hybrid squad against New York City FC in the Eastern Conference Final last year. Maybe we're having a different conversation about Philly as defending MLS Cup champions or at least having been to an MLS Cup. And so I think they want to right the ship in that regards. And I'm starting to wonder, Jamie, if there's kind of riding on the wall or if it's in the back of everybody's head that this might be the last run that they're having together, you know, because Paxton Aronson's a young and really interesting player. And obviously there's the pedigree now with what his brother's doing in the Premier League. So are European clubs looking at him? Probably. I'm shocked nobody's coming with a big money offer for Kai Wagner he's been the best outside back in Major League Soccer for me and do I think Jim Curtin's happy at Philadelphia yes does he have a lot of control and a lot of say that makes him happy and able to be successful yes but if there's a time to go to Europe his stock's never going to be higher than I think it is right now so I'm wondering if they're looking at this at like the last chance and the team's going to get broken up potentially um I don't know. That's just me speculating and everything, but I think they'll, that'll show a level of urgency for them. I do think they have the easier schedule. I think they're going to get Charlotte's best punch, but I think they're definitely better than them on paper. And who knows, maybe Bob Bradley decides to give Michael Bradley and, you know, Insigne the night off and everything and play the kids, given there's nothing to play for on October 9th. You compare that with LAFC having to play at Portland who by the time this game is played will not, it's impossible for them to qualify for the playoffs between now and then. So Portland's looking at that and saying, we get a result, we're in the playoffs. They're going to take that very seriously. And then Nashville might have already qualified by the time we get to decision day, but you look at it, they might be fighting for seeding, they might be fighting for a home playoff game, and if nothing else, Hani Mukhtar is going to want to score a couple of goals to, you know, pad his stats for the golden boot race and the MLS MVP race. Meanwhile, Jamie, uh, Sebastian Driussi will be at home to my Colorado Rapids, which I'm sure obviously he's looking at that and saying, you know, a goal and assist and an easy win minimum. So Hani Mukhtar wants to keep up with that. LAFC is playing two teams that have everything to play for and are very good. And I think it's a more difficult schedule. I think it's a more interesting question. I just, Jamie, I want to see these two teams in MLS Cup so bad. I think this would be the most interesting narrative. And regardless of it, I think it's going to be a great story and something that'd be super interesting and highly anticipated. We'll see whether or not that happens, as rarely it's the number one seeds from the two conferences coming in. I'm not sure what to make of Gareth Bale, though, because, you know, I look at it and I look at his whole schedule. He's played, what, 60 minutes or more twice. You know, he's basically been he's basically been a starter and then subbed out in the second half in one game and then a substitute for the other game. Yes, there's a lot of fixture congestion right now. You know, LAFC has been playing a lot of midweek games and everything. But, you know, it's not like they're in a World Cup. They're going to be playing what every five, six days minimum, potentially every four, if assuming Wales makes it to the knockout round. So, I mean, if I, I don't like Wales chances of getting out of the group, Jamie, if you're telling me that, you know, that Bale has to start one game, can't play more than 65 minutes and can't play more than 30 in the next one as well in that one so I'm not entirely sure what to make up that um maybe they're setting up to the point where he's ready to be 90 minutes fit by the time they get to the actual MLS Cup playoffs you know he is getting called up for Wales they've got what Nations League I think coming up so we'll see does he get 100 120 minutes out of those 180 possible maybe but I'm, I'm still not sure what to make of it I think he's a great player I think Carlos Vela is a great player I think they've gotten in 
away of each other a little bit too much. But if you were looking at this for this to be a change from, you know, his time at Tottenham, his time at Real Madrid, where he couldn't stay healthy, he couldn't stay fit. And there was, you know, discontinuity with him to the point where he wasn't getting selected. And you figure he'd come here, start and play 90 minutes because he's Gareth Bale. That hasn't happened for a number of reasons. And I can't entirely say that I'm not surprised with that. But Let's move on to the roundtable. Jamie, let's talk a little bit of League's Cup showcase, folks. This is in replacement of the League's Cup structure with everything. So games are currently happening right now. By the time you're listening to this, maybe it's just a few hours before RSL versus Atlas, but currently it's in the first half. Cincinnati is down 1-0 to Chivas de Guadalajara, and then later on tonight, Nashville is playing Club America. Um, you know, Jamie, I, I guess it's kind of nice that League Cups exist in a certain format. Obviously, we're moving to the, you know, the full-on group stage, you know, almost like a mini World Cup between Liga MX and MLS teams next year and everything, and I think that'll be something that'll be more engaging and more exciting. This is almost like an inconvenient friendly. Like, I think Pablo Mastorini is probably looking at this like, all right, I'll I'll squat out, you know, I'll, I'll try it out a B team and everything. Let's get ready for the LA Galaxy. But, you know, I, I still think it's fun to see some of these and think about them. I don't know how productive they are because, you know, I'm sure the the casual fan of the neutral is looking at this saying, oh, Cincinnati's crap because they're losing to Chivas and everything. And Chivas might be taking this very seriously. And Cincinnati's definitely looking ahead to next Tuesday. Yes, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's, it may well be the same across the board where, as you say, Cincinnati won or down. The, the key teams weren't the Nile players and two names on the bench. Luciano Costa and Brandon Vasquez, the game against Seattle is taking precedence. It's, it's understandable why. As you say, it comes at a poor time, really. I'm sure competition like this would be would be snapped up by Cincinnati and Kerr, and they would put a lot more into it. But now now's not the time. They've got playoffs to move on, and that is obviously the priority. So although the likes of Alex Khan and um, Jeff Cameron and those sorts of players are playing some of the more experienced players that are regulars, you've still you still got the two key men missing and then uh Brenner, I'm guessing international duty I'm not hundred percent sure though. So it's yeah, it's a case of yeah, the priorities are elsewhere and it's understandable why. So it's a nice tournament, not one I'm ever able to see over here, so it's hard to possibly get into it from an English point of view. But yeah, it's it's an interesting point of view to see. Just so I'm looking at just an interesting point, um I don't know if the MLS app is wrong, but four players on the Chivas bench have numbers with three digits. I don't know if that's the app being wrong. Uh, Jamie, I believe that's a thing. That is the um, that's how a lot of League MX teams do their academy. So effectively, the number ten for the B team or the reserve team will be number one ten, and so you'll see like numbers go into the three hundreds if you're talking about a U eighteen player as well. So that's probably what it is. And again, it's a friendly, so it doesn't matter. I'm pretty sure in a competitive game, a three hundred digit, you know, a three digit number, I think, is illegal. That's not allowed. So. Um, yes, that's probably the case. So similarly, Chivas not taking this seriously, as I'm sure they have a big game in Liga Mekis over the weekend. Yeah, yeah. As I say, one nine five, one eight three, one eight seven, one eight four. They all they all throw me a bit on the screen with the the app being wrong, but I did not know that. So that's interesting to me. Okay, so one eight seven might be their number seven or their number eight that they have for the reserve team. Maybe I'm not I'm not entirely sure. We'll have to see. But so um. Uh, moving on, Jamie, you know, obviously there's international windows that are coming up. You know, I'm sure England has two Nations League games and the United States folks will be taking on and they will be taking on Japan. That'll be at 825 a.m. this coming Friday on ESPN2. That time is Eastern time. Um, that'll be at the um, Meruk Speria, which I assume is some random European country. And then they'll be taking on Saudi Arabia as well. That'll be on FS1 and Unimas this coming Tuesday. And that'll be at 2 p.m. Eastern. You know, I guess two competitive games, Jamie. You know, we're talking about, you know, a relatively competent Middle Eastern side and might, you know, have some of the similar tactical ideologies that we've seen from Qatar. And obviously Japan, you know, a very preeminent, you know, team that we've seen in the World Cup, Samurai Blue. They made the tournament the U.S. did in, in 2018. I think this is far more about what Berhalter's doing. You know, he's it's the last 180 minutes that he's going to get for Aaron Long and Walker Zimmerman to 
build some center back chemistry, rotate in a guy to see who's going to be the fifth center back taken. And obviously, I think all eyes, certainly from a U.S. perspective, are going to be what is the U.S. doing at the goalkeeper position? Because I think it's Matt Turner and Sean Johnson in. So does one start and does the other start, indicating that maybe, you know, uh, you know, Greg's trying to hide it. Or if somebody starts, if starts both games, then I think that could absolutely be Greg tipping his hand for who's going to start against Wales. And obviously, I think the big question is, you know, um, Ferrer is coming up from FC Dallas. Does he snort? And Ricardo Pepe getting called in despite not getting, hasn't scored a goal since I think, what, a calendar year ago? And it was with the U.S., not at the club level and everything. And Jamie, I'm still not sure who should start those, <laughs> you know, at striker for the U.S. against Wales or England. Uh, Jamie, what do we make of international duty and everything? Anything you want to say about the U.S., England, or otherwise? I mean, starting with the U.S., and yeah, they've trusted us doing for over a year now, over the, the striker spot and the centre back spot and even the keeper spot. Who's going to get those starting first? So Berhalter's certainly not a smooth ride on out into the World Cup. There's still a lot of decisions to be made. Obviously, he could have already made them. He's just just testing it out now. But yeah, there's the the England player of Turner versus Stefan Darwin, even though they have some good centre-back coming into the mix as well. And then, yeah, the the thing that stood out to me maybe was... um, Jordi Peacock, part of the, the Union Berlin team that are leading the Bundesliga. I think he's got three goals, maybe two. Oh, I, I, I'll look it up. Yeah, yeah I'm not 100 sure. I've, from what I've, I know, he's scored at least two or three. So he's he's performing for a team that are leading Bundesliga ahead of the likes of Dortmund and Bayern. So that's that's certainly a, a sticking point. But now it's going to be two of us to see his absence. I don't know what to make of it either, to be honest, Jamie. So just a, a quick fact check, folks. So in six Bundesliga games, he has three goals and two assists. And then he's also scored in one German Cup game. So eight, if we're talking, including the Europa League match that he's played in as well, um, eight goals or eight games, all competitions. He has four goals and two assists. And he's the starting striker for a team that's, you know, has more points than Bayern Munich so far in the season. I, I don't know what to make of it, Jamie. I, I think that... Uh, you know, Burhalter. every single time this has come up, you know, he's talking about, you know, the system and everything and the type of striker and the identity and the skill sets that he wants from that player. And that's why, you know, um, you know, that's why Josh Sargent has had so much value to him over the course, even when he hasn't been scoring goals. He presses well, he's mobile, he does things like that. And P. Fox, more of a traditional number nine. And the last time the U.S. played with a traditional number nine, they had Josie Altador and it made sense. So, I can get it to a certain extent, but it feels almost like Greg Berhalter is a club coach that is just so wedded to his ideology, his tactics, whereas I feel like a lot of the really good international managers are just, what is the talent pool that I have? What are for sure the best 11 players that I have? What are the best like 30 players that I probably have? And what is the best thing for them? Certainly, you know, I I think if, you know, if France was wedded to a particular system, then I think that would have limited them in the 2018 World cup as opposed to these are the best players that i have these are the best strengths and rather than having some you know complex tactical ideology and phases of play and everything like at some point let's just ask olivier Giroud to go out there press and be solid defensively and let's just get the ball to killian mbappe in space and look they won you know they, they won the biggest trophy that you can win in the entire world with arguably one of the most talented teams in the history of the world cup certainly in the history of france winning the world cup so I don't know what to make of it. I feel like no matter what Greg Berhalter chooses, the fan base is going to crucify him. Pundits are absolutely going to be upset. And look, if they end up beating Wales, getting a draw against England and getting out of the group and doing something, you know, even just winning, even just being competitive against a favorite in the knockout round, it'll be mission accomplished. And so uh, I'm not sure what to make of it, but I just, I feel like at some point in those three group stage games, you're going to need to sub on an extra defender and just park the bus and defend for your life and not give up goal over the course of 15, 20 minutes. At some point, in those three games, you're going to need to just throw on a center forward that can do stuff in the box and just have Walker Zimmerman lump crosses into the box, have Jedi Robinson, Sergino Dest lump crosses into the box. And I think in that, you want a traditional, defensive-minded, organizational center back 
in a Tim Ream or a John Brooks. And in that, you would also want a traditional number nine to come on as well. And I feel like that should be Jordan Peefock. And I'm worried that the four center backs that he has or the four or five center backs that he calls in are all going to be the same type of player. And they're not going to be able to adjust to that when the moment recalls for it. And I feel similarly, honestly, Jamie, about the forward position. You know, Sebastian Ferreira or David Ferreira, excuse me, and um, uh, and Josh Sargent are very similar players. You know, I could say the same thing to a certain extent of Ricardo Pepe, you know, that just they're all within like the same body type, you know, to an extent. And I feel like you need number nine or you need like a channel running small guy. And I just don't think that Greg Berhalter is going to do that. And I think that's going to be his hubris that could ultimately catch him up to it. But um, we'll see. And maybe in the end, Jamie, it'll make it easier for your three Lions in that second game. So who knows? Uh, let's move on to Pickums. Jamie, we will start with this coming Saturday, the only MLS game of the weekend. LA Galaxy at San Jose Earthquakes. Again, this is at Stanford Stadium, 50,000-seater, not the usual Avaya Stadium. Saturday, September 24th on ESPN Plus for most of the country, 10 p.m. Eastern. Jamie, who you got and why? Well, before, before you point it out, the stands and stuff, the, the big crowd are probably going to uh, lean towards LA Galaxy quite favorably. But I think whilst the on paper it might not be the biggest difference, it can definitely, can definitely sway it towards San Jose and... Realistically, they've got nothing to play for. It's all about almost gearing up towards next year already. And at the same time, with that rivalry with the Galaxy, they've got something to play for in that they can for a sort of team they, they probably don't like all that much. So I think and that may well be the case. I think it'll be a, an entertaining game as it as it often can be when San Jose are involved. And even when the Galaxy are involved, to be honest, both teams have got, got defences left to be desired at times whilst having key attacking players more so the galaxy that can make a difference so I'll, I'll go over a 2-3 draw because I think it's always a always, always a lively fixture both not just on the goals front just in general and I think that will be the case once again I've got a 1-1 draw in this one, Jamie, and I think this will be this will be a draw that will feel like a win for the LA Galaxy, given the environment and just given where they've been and the stuff that I said earlier as well. I think they will play well. I think San Jose will come out and score early and really put them under pressure. I think they'll figure out the game as it goes along. They'll score in the second half. It's not going to be a you know 90th minute at the death kind of a thing, but by the end of the game, they're going to feel good about the performance. They're going to be content with the result, and they're going to feel like this is something they can build on for the final two games of the season and make the playoffs then last one that we have jamie the only other mls fixture that we have officially during international duty fc cincinnati at seattle this will be this coming tuesday september 27th at lumen field on espn plus for most of the country again at 10 p.m eastern jamie who you got and why it's it's one of those where where there's so much on the line for both teams really and both have have got ground to make up as they've said a, a number of times already cincinnati are preparing for that with some key players being rested tonight against Chivas Guadalajara and I think uh, maybe where where I'm more of a hopeful attack inside I think that will maybe come to fruition with obviously what we talked about with Ali Seattle and Majera's suspension and the, the international the way that the international break worked out and that's not really in most other teams it's not it's not so good that I can't be much of a weapon to to go also maybe the way he was doing it I think so I think yeah whilst I'm not I think Cincinnati wins this one as well, Jamie. I think Seattle's ultimately going to undermine, and I think Cincinnati is going to smell blood in the water, and they're going to sense the moment that if we get a result, then it's in our hands, and we just have to beat Chicago on Saturday. As we mentioned earlier, obviously the big guns for Cincinnati are well-rested, so they're going to have 10 days off, and you know, Seattle could have some players that are coming back from, you know, long international flights in a different time zone and having to play 180 minutes under their legs and everything. I think they're going to be weekend. I think Seattle's going to give it everything that they've got, but I think it's going to be another one of the results where they try really hard, but ultimately are just running out of gas. I think Cincinnati nicks it 2-1 as well. Jamie, that brings us to the end of the show. I will throw it to you. Any last words or shall we get out of here? Um, on the revolution... Not looking good, probably not making the probably not making the playoffs, so that's that's not ideal. I'm hoping to secure one one final in season or player but before the season ends and where the the note may have to be away from current football moment so that the team sees that what's going on and then yeah, it's an exciting time given the international break thing far well we're actually on, on T V here on the weekend, Sunday morning against Ipswich Town, so 
Looking forward to that. And then early October, I'm off to see England and the, the USN, USWNT at, at Wembley, which should be quite a thriller. I haven't, haven't seen a, a live game, game at Wembley for a while now and being so close to it. Can't complain about getting a chance to go and see that. So yeah, very excited to see some of those many US stars as well as obviously the lioness who's fresh off of that Euros win. Yeah, absolutely fantastic, Jamie. And potentially, dare I say it, maybe a Women's World Cup final preview for next year as well. So, you know, enjoy your day out at Wembley and, and hopefully Plymouth comes back with, uh, you know, the three points on the weekend against the Tractor Boys. Um, no final, I guess, yeah, you brought up the New England Revolution. I'll, I'll bring up the Colorado Rapids as well, Jamie. It's uh, been a frustrating season, obviously. I think Saturday kind of summed up their year and everything. You know, they've been hit with a lot of injuries and everything. And I think now they're going to try everything they can against FC Dallas. But I'm really curious to see you know the young players haven't embedded in for a number of reasons but they've had you know little playing moments here and there Ralph Prizos looks like a bulldog in midfield Darren Yappi looks like it from a number nine standpoint you know I'm I'm not looking forward to the Austin FC game and that I think Colorado will lose and lose heavily but I'm really curious to see if Robin Frazier gives chances to a lot of the younger players and if we see any bright spots to look forward to from them I think Ralph Prizo has a lot of promise maybe all the Raws will be back and fit at that point we haven't seen a lot of Sebastian Anderson in you know, it's been Keegan Rosenberry on that right flank for Colorado. And so it'd be nice to just see some of the young kids and see if, you know, Robin Frazier says, you know, hey, you're going out and you're playing one of the best teams in the Western Conference. We're probably going to lose. It might be a multi-goal loss. Show me something. And maybe Darren Yappi nicks a goal or maybe Ralph Prizzo gets into it with, you know, Alex Ring and, you know, shows some tenacity. That's something that's been missing from the midfield. So um, we'll see about that. But I think certainly, Jamie, a disappointing performance for the the two, um, you know, uh, defending conference regular season champions in Major League Soccer. Listeners, I want to thank our sponsors. Our first is Roughneck Scarves. They are an official scarf supplier of MLS USL and US Soccer merchandise. You can get your custom scarves for your group, team, or office at roughneckscarves.com. And if they don't already, they will soon be having a lot of merchandise for the United States men's national team going into the World Cup. Maybe you don't like the jerseys, but maybe they'll have some nice scarves that'll be fun to buy and much cheaper and not a plain white training shirt. On that note, are you tired of the same old uniforms and cookie-cutter templars that you get from Nike and Adidas and the other makers and everything? Are you looking for a unique and completely custom kit for your youth team Sunday League squad or World Cup team that randomly needs something last minute? Icarus FC can help you design the kit of your dreams at a reasonable timeline at an affordable price. Their motto is literally any design you want, seriously, end quote. Let them design your kit of your dreams today at IcarusFC.com. Listeners, you can follow us on Twitter on all social media platforms at LastWordSC. Check us out um, on the website, LastWordOnSports.com backslash soccer, and search, rate, review, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Just search LWS Radio or Last Word on Sports. You'll find us and a bunch of other great content. Listeners, we'll see you next time, hopefully certainly before Decision Day to preview that, and then look ahead to the playoffs and ultimately MLS Cup and, and the World Cup Final. We'll see you then.